Anybody in here old enough to, I think they do reruns now, remember the show Family Feud? How many of y'all familiar with that? So everybody here, I think, knows that I'm a counselor. I'm a director of a counseling agency. I've been doing counseling for 35 years, probably about 30,000 hours worth of listening to people talk about their problems. So I want you to play a little game with me. And these are the top five answers on the survey. Top five reasons why people come to counseling. And we're going to see how you can, how you, how y'all do with this. And I don't, I don't necessarily have them in order, but if you can get one of what I believe are the five, uh, if you think you know one of the five reasons, raise your hand and I'm going to call on you, okay? They're past. Okay. Bam. Not on my survey. Yep. Yes. Say again. Clarity. Bam. Not on the answer. Yep. Say again. To save a marriage. Okay. I'm going to allow that to be one of them. We'll just put relationship problems. All right, conflicts in relationships. Yes, you. Personal problems, be more specific. Name one personal problem. Finances, bam, not on my, not the top five, but a good answer. People do come for that. Way back in the back. Say again. Rape. Okay, uh, I'm going to allow that, and I'm going to just say uh, the three A's. Um, I'm going to put addiction, abuse, and uh, affairs. We call them affairs, infidelity. The three A's. And addiction would be like, uh, hurt, you know, celebrate recovery calls hurts, habits, and hangups, right? Now, the the other things y'all have said, those are reasons why people come to counseling, but these are the top five major problems why people come to counseling. Yes, sir, you. There you go. What percentage of the people in the country do you think suffer with depression these days? How many people do you think, what percentage of the population do you think is on an antidepressant? 90%? (laughs) Probably. I don't know what it is, but it's a lot. Say, okay. There you go. Anger. And actually, uh, that kind of overlaps abuse. So I'm I'm actually gonna put these two over here, um, yeah. Cause so the main one the main one is addiction, abuse, and affairs would be relationship problems. Okay, and of course abuse is connected to anger. So just let's make this simple and keep my list going. I'm going to put addiction. 
or uh, uh, unhealthy uh, habits or uh, behavior patterns that they can't break. Uh, Habitual sin would be up there. Okay, one last thing. Yes, sir. Communication, that would come under relationship problems. One other really big problem that people come for. Finance, someone said that. That definitely is a problem, but that's not on the top five. Grief, okay, that would come under depression because a lot of depression is a major part of grief, and a lot of times the reason why people are depressed is it's associated with grief. If you think about grief, grief goes with any loss. Any loss, loss of a job, loss of a loved one, going through a stage of life, emptiness, they're all associated with grief. Grief is a good one, but it kind of comes under depression. Anybody else? Yeah? Dissatisfied with their life? Yes, that would encompass almost all of them. If you have any of these, you're going to be dissatisfied with your life. Yes, you? Suicidal thoughts would come under depression. Anxiety, there you go. That's the one I was looking for. Okay, now I want you to just look at this list. Now, this is not a comprehensive list, but it's a, it's a really good list. If you think about all of the things that people struggle with, this is what I see a lot. Relationship problems, the, the title of this series is Connecting in Relationships. The title of tonight is Feelings, Empathy, and Vulnerability. Hey, Robert, just saw you. Second thing, people, we know there's a lot of addiction, alcohol and drug abuse, uh, addiction to food, addiction to work, addiction to sex, addiction to just about anything, TV, Facebook, phones, gaming. There's all kinds of addictions. And bad habits. And then depression, it's running rampant. Anger, anger problems, domestic violence, abuse, rape. Of course, all those things would come under anger. And then anxiety. It's my one of my professors in, in college defined anxiety as fear without a focal point. So just... Keep these things in mind, and I want to tell you tonight what I'm going to talk about is the key to understanding why all of them exist and the key to solving all of them. All of them relate to the same thing. They all come from the same place. And so I'm going to, you got this list down. You don't have to worry about remembering it because we're going to talk about it again. I'm going to draw it up here in a different way. So I'm going to put a person, and I'm going to have a diagram up. You're going to see it later, and I think it's on your outline. This is how I draw a human being. Don't put it up there yet, Doug. Um, okay, so that's how I draw a human being. That's First Thessalonians. Actually, Doug, why don't you go ahead and put it up there since I'm talking about it.
May your body, soul, and spirit be preserved complete. Talks about three parts. Man is three parts. Body, soul, spirit. And the soul is where we, we get, so you got a psychological part. That's the inner man. Um, psyche, the word psyche is, is the word that comes from the word in the Bible for soul, which is suke. I'm sorry, yeah, suke. Is it spelled up there? Good. <laughs> suke, up there. So the soul of man, there's an inside part of you and an outside part of you. So the body is the outside part of you. That's, you know, that's the part that you put your clothes on. But inside your body, there's a, there's a being. And we believe there's a spiritual being with a soul in an earth suit. And we can talk about a lot of aspects of this. We can, we can talk about, let me just use this so y'all can all see it. We can talk about the, the brain. Okay, the brain, notice, is part of the body. There's a difference between the mind and the brain. The mind is a part of you that thinks. The will is a part of you that chooses and makes decisions. Emotions are the part of you that feels. We were made in God's image, so we have a mind, a will, and emotions. We're also a spiritual being with a soul in an earth suit. And so in all of these problems that I listed, anxiety, actually let me use a different color. Anxiety, anger, depression. Addiction and relationships, relationship problems. They can all be related to different aspects of what's going on with us. If you were to go to a good charismatic pastor, or a good charismatic church, they would say you need to get right with God. You know, the reason you're having these things, you need to get right with God. It's your relationship with God. You need to uh, cast out a spirit. You know, it's demonic influence. Confess your sin. Get radically right with God. And that will solve that problem. Uh, I know people who do that, and still the problem exists. It's great. Sometimes... That will happen. Sometimes it won't happen. If you go to a psychologist or or counselor, they're going to probably focus on your soul and getting you to think different, you know, make different choices and deal with your feelings that you're not dealing with. Because all of those things can affect this too. 
And then if you go to a psychiatrist or a doctor, they're going to basically treat the symptoms that are showing up where when you have anxiety and you have depression, even with some addiction, there can be problems with your dopamine, your serotonin, your norepinephrine. Those are in the brains, and they give you medicines to regulate the absorption and production of those chemicals. Just like, you know, low thyroid, hyper or hypothyroidism. And they might tell you to exercise, you need to get more rest. They may, you know, put you on a regimen, a nutritional diet, all of those things. So what you can see is that there are physiological, psychological, and spiritual causes to all of these problems. And when someone comes to see me, I don't negate any of them. I think they're all valid. But I want to talk to you tonight about one aspect of that diagram that I believe, especially in the church, and I'm a part of the church, I'm a part of the body of the church, the body of Christ, is very neglected or misunderstood. And so I'm going to teach you a little mini course on it tonight. And and I believe that what I'm going to tell you tonight may help you with any of these number any of these things. I, I believe it's a tremendous key. It is not the only component, as I just explained, there are many components that explain why you might have a problem. I mean, you might have someone said your past, you might have issues in your past that you've never dealt with. You might have you might not be right with God. You might need to get right with God. That might be a big part of the problem. You might have a chemical imbalance that requires a medication. You know, you might need to renew your mind with the Word of God. And you might not, you may, might need to change your negative attitude to a positive attitude. All of those things would help. But the part that is neglected the most right here in the church for Christians and, and even non-Christians, it's misunderstood is right here, emotions. And that's why I call tonight feelings, empathy, and vulnerability. Feelings, empathy, and vulnerability is a huge key source of related to all of these things. So, that's what I want to focus on for just a little bit. And then, hopefully, I'll be able to take some questions or whatnot. But what I would assert to you is that most of us spend a tremendous amount of energy trying to suppress, ignore, tune out, or numb what our emotions are telling us. The problem is many of us don't understand what our emotions are trying to communicate or where they're trying to move us. Because emotions, as I have explained, are not always understood or contained, people in many cultures, including many Christians that I've spoken with who come to me for counseling, mistrust emotions, viewing them as misleading, needing to be tamed or controlled. Many of us are raised to believe that maturity is about governing emotions and relying on thinking. Many of us are in jobs where dealing with your feelings are discouraged, especially men in our culture. 
you know, you're not supposed to cry. You need to be strong. I mean, if a firefighter is coming to get you out of a fire, he doesn't need to be like sitting there processing his fear. He needs to cut off his fear. You know, if a doctor is getting ready to operate on you, you don't want him to be like processing his insecurity and, uh, you know, dealing with his feelings while he's operating on you. And, and it's a, it's a minute by minute, you know, you want him to be confident and like really actually tune out his emotions, especially the people that are operating in the neonatal unit or the emergency room. Or what about soldiers? Like that's not the time to deal with your feelings. In a crisis. However, you have feelings that are going on with you in a crisis. And as a result of all of these things, emotions are often pathologized and viewed as something to overcome, not to be embraced. Emotions are often labeled as weak, dramatic, irrational, and problematic. Many of us learn at a very young age, as I said, how to suppress our emotions. In truth, emotions are exquisitely intelligent, and it's illogical and a big mistake to disregard the information that they're sharing. Emotion shapes and coordinates our experience and communicates our needs to ourselves and to others. The Latin word, movere, is where the word emotion comes from, and it literally means to move. It is our feelings, if you think about it, that move us to approach or avoid in relationships like I talked about last week. It is what is in us that is the motivational force that pushes us to act and behave the way that we do. So there are five basic feelings. I want you to look at your little chart you have in your outline. Okay, pull this out for a minute. And I, I like this one. There's a lot of different ones. If you Google feeling charts on, uh, you know, you went and looked on your computer, you could find a bunch of different versions of these. But I like this one because it kind of puts all feelings into Five different categories. Now, if you'll notice, there's high, medium, and low. So, what I what I want what I want to ask you is like, how many of you, you don't raise don't raise your hand? How many of y'all feel like you're angry? You have a problem with anger. Okay. Now, if you said no, I want you to look down at the low intensity anger, the medium anger, and the high anger. How many of y'all have ever felt Perturbed, annoyed, uptight, resistant, irritated, touchy. Well, you see, that's under anger. So that means you have a problem with anger. You just don't acknowledge it as anger. Or you're upset, defended, frustrated, agitated, disgusted. That's anger. And if you go up the ladder, it gets more obviously anger. What about if I asked you, do you feel ashamed? Do you have a problem with shame or feeling ashamed? And you say, well, not really. 
Okay, well, look at the low intensity ashamed. Bashful, you ever feel ridiculous, regretful, uncomfortable, pitied, silly, secretive, embarrassed, guilty, sneaky, unworthy, like maybe there's something wrong with you or you can't get it right, inadequate. That's shame. And what about if I asked you, do you have a problem with fear? You know, do you, are you a fearful person? Well, that's anxiety is fear. And I want, I want to just give you a tip. If you ever struggle with anxiety, this is what it might feel like, okay? It might feel like um, under fear. So look under afraid, cautious, nervous, worried, timid, unsure, anxious, uneasy, insecure, okay? All of that is fear. The problem is if you feel anxiety, there's not a whole heck of a lot you can do with it. Anxiety is fear without a focal point. You're just nervous. You're worried. You're unsettled. What you really have to do is figure out what you're afraid of. You have to realize anxiety is a form of fear, and you have to pinpoint what you're afraid of. We're going to get to that in a minute. If you're depressed, look under sad, unhappy, uh, you know, on the low intensity, blue, upset, disappointed, dissatisfied, and then it goes up, heartbroken, somber, lost, distressed, let down, melancholy, and then the intensity goes up. A lot of people wouldn't necessarily view that as depressed, and it may not end up being depressed. But I just want to kind of like expose you to the idea that all of us have feelings. And while we may not say we're ashamed, we have a problem with fear, we're angry or sad, if you look at some of these synonyms underneath, we can all relate to all of these things. This is a human condition. Okay? Um, So you have the five feelings up there. The other thing is, Feelings can be, and I think this is in your outline, if you want to fill it in the blanks, the five basic feelings. And then emotions can be secondary or primary. What do I I mean by that? Well, anger, for example. And I'm going to just circle three of these. Anger, anxiety and depression. Those are the big three emotional reasons why people come to counseling. When it really, when you boil it down, and all three of these, most of the t- mostly, typically, I look at as a symptom of the problem, not the problem. For example, many people get or display themselves as angry. Maybe they, they, they have a problem with their temper. But anger, a lot of times, is a secondary, it's a secondary feeling, meaning it's, it's a reactive, surface, defensive, or protective feeling. But really, on the inside of what is going on with the person, a lot of times they may be afraid, or ashamed, or sad, or hurt. 
And the anger is a cover for that. The anger is the surface feeling, but what's really underneath is they're hurt. They're scared. They feel inadequate. They're ashamed. But what you see is the anger. The other thing is when you see depression and anxiety, which are the two big reasons why people take medications other than chronic pain. It's the two major problems that people take medication. What is that? What is anxiety and depression? What's going on with with that? Why is the person experiencing anxiety and depression? A lot of times, you know what it is? It's not life that's causing the anxiety and depression. It might be partially their attitude. It might be partially the, the, you know, that they're not making good choices. It may be that their faith is lacking. But you know what it is a lot of times? It's emotions down deep that they're not dealing with. It's not emotions that are causing the anxiety and depression. It's the fact that the person is not dealing with their emotions that's causing the anxiety and depression. When you look at your loved one that you're in a relationship with, just think of whatever relationship that's significant to you. It might be your spouse. It might be your child. might be your parent, in-laws. You see something on the surface, whatever they're presenting on the surface. And what I have learned to understand about people having counseled people all these years is what you see on the surface is not necessarily what's really going on with the person. Most of the time, it's not what's going on with the person. It's a facade. When you come to church on Sunday and you see all these people smiling and praising God, that's not what's really going on with the person on the inside. What's really going on with the person on the inside is they may be sad or they may be angry or they may have fear or shame. And, you know, sometimes we get happy. Many of us want to be happy all the time, and we don't ever want to feel sad, angry, afraid, or ashamed. Well, join the club. I'm one of those. I don't like to feel sad, angry, ashamed, and afraid. I don't like to feel that way either, but that's a normal part of our existence. If you go through this life, which I said is a love story set in the midst of a war, you're going to feel those feelings. And the sooner you accept them and embrace them, and learn to deal with them, the better off you'll be, and the less problems you will have with anxiety, depression, anger, addiction, and relationship problems. So this is a little, I don't know, uh, 101, emotions 101, okay? Here it goes. Ten minutes on emotions, and about ten minutes on listening, and ten minutes on empathy, and we're done. So this is what you need to think of. And put put the little circle back up on there. Emotions are to the soul what pain is to the body. You're walking along, you step in a hole, you break something, searing pain, 
registers in your brain, you stop walking. You don't ignore pain. Now, some guys, some people do ignore pain. You have pain in your tooth. How many of y'all, when you first have a pain in your mouth or in your tooth, go immediately to the dentist? <laughs> no, you, you, you pretend you don't want to go to the dentist. Why? Because they're going to do something that hurts. Or are you, you have a little fluttering in your chest. Or you have a, this weird feeling. Or you have a blood in your stool or your urine. A lot of us get really worried. You know, the obsessive compulsive types, we get worried get frantic, we immediately go into hysteria and think we have cancer. That's one extreme, and we tell everybody. But there's a bunch of us that we just ignore that. We just ignore those symptoms. We don't. We we just don't want it to be. I went two months having a funny feeling in my chest, and then I remembered something that my uncle said, who was one of three brothers, my dad being one, two of which had multiple heart operations, and we have a heart history in our family. And you know what? My blood pressure was was not abnormal. My uh, nuclear stress test that I get every five years was not abnormal. Uh, I didn't have any other symptoms. But I remembered what he said. You know, if you ever have a funny feeling after you exercise, you should go check it out. So you know what? They did an angiogram, and I had 99% blockage in the outgoing artery right here. Thank God I didn't ignore it. So... Whenever I would exert myself, the blood would push against the little blockage. But there's also little veins that it would go out to, so I would get away with it. So he he put the little stent in right then. He put a little thing in my in, in that little area, put a, blew up a balloon, you know, and smashed all the plaque up against. It was it was like my vein was like this. Here was the vein, and there was a little spot like that. So he, he put a little balloon thing in there, stuck a wire with a little balloon, and then he blew up the balloon. And when he blew up the balloon, I had that same funny feeling. See, I'm a drug addict. I didn't go to sleep when they injected me with five different drugs. I was saying, like, I'm feeling all right. I was like the best I'd felt in a long time. I was awake during the whole thing. I mean, he never, I was like joking with the nurses. Like most of the people, they take five different medicines. They're going to go out. But like I was wide awake. And when he blew up that balloon, I said, I feel exactly the same. And like I was probably slurring my words. But anyway, so he said, so then they, they take it out. He took, he took that little balloon out, which mashed the plaque up against this thing. And then he put this little doohickey in there. And then, then it, it poofed up and created a little net that, was a tunnel that opened up that become became a part of my vein. So then it went went to wide open. But what if I had ignored that? I would I'd be dead. And the thing is people do that with their feelings all the time. You don't realize you got stuff going on inside of you, and so do the people that you're living with. And you think it's one thing, and you react to what's on the surface, or you don't pay attention to it at all, which is even worse. And you wonder why you have anxiety, anger, and depression relationship problems, and you start medicating yourself. It's because you're not paying attention to 
your feelings. Thoughts and actions. So anyway, emotions are to the soul what pain is to the body. It's They are simply a signal from your body that tells us that something has changed for the good or bad and we had better pay attention. Thoughts and actions are important, which is a lot of what is emphasized in Christianity and the Bible. Change the way you think, change the way you act, but so are your feelings. Otherwise, God wouldn't have created us with feelings. So think about this. For Christians, Jesus Christ is an example of what it means to be fully human and made in the image of God, which means that we should be able to look at the life of Christ for clues to an emotionally healthy lifestyle, right? In the Bible, it is clearly recorded, and all these words appear, that Jesus felt compassion, that's a feeling, anger, that's a feeling, indignant, that's a feeling, consumed with zeal, feeling, he was troubled, feeling, greatly distressed, feeling, very sorrowful, depressed, deeply moved, grieved, all feelings, that he sighed, that he wept, sobbed, groaned, he was in agony, surprised, amazed, he rejoiced very greatly, he was full of joy, desired, and he loved, all feelings. How many of us give ourselves permission to feel so deeply? Jesus was not emotionless, nor did he shy away from his emotions. The Bible tells us we were created in the image of God. Jesus was God incarnate. Both God the Father in the Old Testament, you see it, and Jesus not only experienced but expressed feelings, sometimes very intensely. So what does that mean for us? How should we view feelings? Well, I can tell you we shouldn't ignore them. You know, if you think about it, you may not want to feel, but sometimes you're about as effective at stopping an emotion as you are at preventing a sneeze. They just come out, whether you want them to or not. You know what neuroscientists have learned? I always thought that thoughts always preceded feelings. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I used to say and preach on where the mind goes, the feelings follow. You know, if you change the way you think and you change the way you act, you change the way you feel. And you know what? A lot of times that's true. But there are types of feelings that occur before thought because the brain is made, the amygdala is my thumb. These other feelings are the cerebral cortex. This is the part that develops first, the amygdala. The cerebral cortex is the part of the brain that tries to figure out and make sense of what's going on on the inside. This was designed by God for our survival. And sometimes we have reactions to things and feeling reactions to things that are meant to get our attention. And if we don't pay attention, that's where those things occur. So neuroscientists have learned in the past three or four decades that our emotions arise out of the most primitive part of our brain and that they are, incru- they are produced incredibly rapidly. Emotions can't afford to be slow. Informing our reaction time in certain circumstances 
may make the difference between life and death. James Gross, a scientist who studies emotions, discovers that it takes one-tenth of a second for the brain to register and react to a stimulus. You remember in that still face video when the mother went stone face, how quickly the child picked up on the fact that something changed? So if you're walking in the woods with a friend and see a shadow move in the grass, it takes one-tenth of a second for your brain to register threat, especially if you're afraid of snakes, and to show the fear in your face, sending an immediate message to your friend that something is wrong. It takes six-tenths of a second, still pretty fast, for the message to get to the prefrontal cortex, the thinking part of your brain, where the brain determines that the stimulus was just a shadow of leaves blowing in the wind and not a snake. The problem is the half-second lag time between the initial registration of threat and the frontal cortex decision to disregard it. When your friend, whose brain reads the fear on your face in one-tenth of a second, asks, what's wrong, and you say nothing, everything is fine, you're sending a mixed message because your face said there is a problem while your words say everything is fine. And therein you have everything that happens in marriage, right? What's wrong? Nothing. Doesn't feel like something's not, something's wrong. I know something's wrong. Nothing's wrong. We tend to believe the emotion. Appreciating the speed and the wisdom of our emotional signals is the key to direct and honest communication. I personally like to think of emotions like small children. They demand attention and they'll get it one way or the other. Pay attention to and care for them and they will settle down and behave. If you don't, however, they will continue to act out in ways that cause problems. Guaranteed. If you, if you deny, dismiss, demand, punish, or get irate, they often get worse. The challenge is to pay attention and discern what's really going on and what is really needed. Just like a baby. Are they hungry? hurting, afraid, need to be changed, held. If you can identify and meet the need, they usually settle down. The same is true of the way that we deal with our feelings on the inside. They will end up coming out sideways or in a way that we don't want them to if we don't deal with them. Emotions are the root of why we do a lot of the crazy and unhealthy things that we do. So look, just to make the point, in case I don't have time, which I won't. Why is it so important to figure out what you feel? Because, well, let me do it like this. It'll be easier to, be easier to understand it this way. Here's a person. On the inside are their core needs. Remember what those seven core needs were? Seven of them. There's four A's and three S's. Attention, affection, affirmation, acceptance, significance, security, and support. 
We all need those things. Our soul needs those things just like our physical heart needs blood. Our soul needs love and connection, which come in the way of those seven things, just like our hearts need blood. There's differences between men and women. There's different temperament types. We all need love in different ways, just like there are, there's type A, A positive, A negative, B, uh, O, A, B. Like you can't give the heart the wrong type of blood. Different souls of different people need love in different ways. But we all need it. So if those core needs are not met, this is what's going to happen. Core needs not met. What's going to happen is there's going to be some feelings. You're going to feel sad, angry, afraid, ashamed. But suppose you're not paying attention to that. Whether you do or not, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be certain behaviors that arise out of that. And they're going to either be healthy or unhealthy. If you don't pay attention to this, if you don't, if you, you ever heard the expression, you got to name it to tame it? So people, this is what people do. They come with the behavior. And they want to change. They want to change this behavior. They want to change the way they're acting. They want to be more respectful towards their husband. They want to be more loving towards their wife. They want to communicate better. They want to learn to control their temper. They want to, uh, you know, they want to be more positive. They want to, you know, whatever it is, put, fill in the blank. If, if you just try to change this behavior with just thinking different and behaving different, and you can do it, great. Problem solved. Hallelujah. I did that for a long time until it didn't work. And then I had to go deeper. If you can't change that behavior, part of the reason is because you don't know what's driving it. You, you need to figure out what is the feeling underneath that behavior. And, you know, like I said, there's surface feelings there's surface feelings like, you know, if your wife is a pursuer, you're going to see a lot of anger and anxiety and desperation, but underneath that, she feels alone and abandoned. If you're a withdrawer on the surface, you're going to see frustrated, numb, and defensive, but underneath you're going to see, and that, what's, what he's going to feel is, I feel like I can never get it right. It's never enough. I'm scared to death. I don't know what to do. There's feelings. Those feelings, if you identify them, tell you what you need. If you don't figure out what you need, then how do you change your behavior? Because your behavior is what's trying to get this need met. You're supposed to go to, you know, God, others, and you're supposed to love yourself. That diagram, we're supposed to do it right, but what happens is those other things end up happening. And a lot of times it's because we don't know what we're feeling underneath we're not paying attention. And if we don't pay attention to what we feel, we don't, we can't figure out what we need. 
That's the relationship between feelings, needs, and behavior. That's why God made us with feelings. Feelings help us to figure out what we need and how to act. The the way your feelings show up is first in your body. You have a bodily sensation. You notice it. Then you name it. What am I feeling? And then you figure out, okay, what is this telling me that I need? And then you have a choice. But suppose you don't even know what the body sensation, you don't even pay attention to it. You don't know what you feel. You have no choice. You just react. That's the significance of feelings and understanding what you feel. So, if what I've explained thus far is true about how not getting our needs met can result in sin and unhealthy behavior, that what Thomas Aquinas says is true, that all sin results from, uh, all sin is a result of, uh, how's it go? Help me out, somebody. All sin is rooted in a legitimate God-given desire. Then, knowing what we feel and need is critically important. Our deeper emotions point to what we need and to the solution. So, I'm going to just show you a couple of scriptures. Look, pull up anger, about anger. The Bible says, be angry. Thou shalt be angry. How many of y'all ever heard that preached on? Be angry. It doesn't say don't be angry. It says be angry, but in your anger do not sin. And don't let the sun go down your anger. In other words, don't hold on to it. It doesn't say don't be angry. There's a right way and a wrong way to express your anger. And then look at Proverbs 11, 19, 11. A man's discretion, knowledge, understanding, wisdom makes him slow to, able to restrain his anger. If you can, if you know what's driving your anger, you have a much better chance of controlling it. The best antidote for anger, and anger is a, a, a problem, okay, for people, and if you're with someone, this anger is a problem. The best antidote for anger, anger is conveying through body language that you're important and what you have to say is important. That's why Proverbs 15.1 is so important, where it says a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know what people who are angry need more than anything is to be heard, to be paid attention to. Now, a lot of times because of their anger and it's out of control and because they have hurts and wounds that they've never dealt with, their anger comes out abusive and they start demanding things of other people because they're not hooked up to God, right? They're not connected with their own feelings. They got problems. So it comes out wrong, but you know what they really want is to be heard. They want to be seen. They want to be, you know, to, they want, they need love and connection. They're, they're, des- they're desperate for it. They're just going about getting it in the wrong way. If you really listen to someone, their anger will de-escalate. If you really listen and get them. Now, if you know someone who that doesn't work for, they either got an addiction, they're numb to what their emotions are underneath, or they got some serious problem that they've been caught up with in a long, for a long time. Most people, when they're angry, if they're really heard, they stop feeling angry. 
This is done best through genuine, reflective listening. I love these verses in Proverbs. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. Proverbs 18.2. And then Proverbs 18.13. He who gives an answer before he hears, that means listens and understands, it is folly, foolishness, and shame, disgrace and confusion to him. Nowhere have I seen this better displayed than in this little short video clip. Which you've probably seen before, but check it out again. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head. And it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most, is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop would... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? We can work it out. We can work it out. So they both need some work. He needs to raise his emotional IQ, and so does she. She's paying attention, you know, she's not paying attention to a bodily sensation that if she did, might she might realize what's really going on with her, and he doesn't know what to do with her emotions. He, you know, she, she gives him his emotions, her emotions, and he tries to fix it. He doesn't know how to validate it, and that's how a lot of us are. The golden rule of good listening, you can fill in your blanks, validate feelings first, then problem solve. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Validate feelings first, then problem solve. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. But good listening skills are not enough. You must be genuinely curious to know what it feels like to be that other person. You must try to look past their surface reactions to see, feel, and understand what's going on inside of them. And you must listen with your heart, not just with your ears. You need to learn to do this with yourself first, and then you can do it with another person.
if you haven't dealt with your own emotions, if you don't know what your emotions are, if you haven't like kind of thought about, okay, what's going on underneath this behavior that I have and what needs are not being met, you're going to have a hard time giving that to somebody else. You're going to have a hard time communicating or showing empathy for another person. There's another great verse, and, and it's one of my favorites, one of my life verses. The purposes of a man's heart, is Proverbs 25, the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. So there's two important things you need to understand, and, and this is what we're going to close with. One important thing to understand is inside of all of us, there's some degree of fear and shame. Inside all of us, there's some degree of fear and shame. If you look at the low and medium intensity on those feeling charts, you might be able to identify it. Maybe you still have a hard time de dealing with it. But let me explain. So let me give you an idea of what fear looks like. There's four basic fears. Maybe you can relate to one of these. You remember I said if you're anxious, okay, you can't do anything with it. If you, but if you look at anxiety, anxiety and insecurity. People use those words all the time. I'm anxious and I'm insecure. Well, what does that mean? It really means you're afraid. So the question is, what are you afraid of? Until you figure out what you're afraid of, you can't deal with your anxiety. So you have panic attacks, same thing. Figure out what you're really afraid of. You know why you're having panic attacks or anxiety attacks and it's coming out all over the place? Because you have fears that you're not dealing with that are coming out sideways at inappropriate times. You know why you have anger blow-ups? Because you have feelings that you're not dealing with that are coming out at inappropriate times. You know why you have depression? Because you got feelings that you're not dealing with, that you're not paying attention to. you got unmet needs that you're not acknowledging, and you're not dealing with it, therefore you're depressed. So four basic fears, there they are. Fear of rejection, they won't like me or accept me. Fear of abandonment, they'll leave me or I'll lose them. Fear of failure, not getting it right, being inadequate, looking like a fool. Fear of death, which is loss of life, but it's also loss of control or I feel like I'm losing my identity. That happens a lot in relationships. If I give in, give in, give in, give in to try to please the other person, I'll lose myself. Some people hold on to a position because they're afraid of losing themselves. Some people don't talk because they're afraid of they'll fail. Some people don't do things because they're afraid they'll fail. A lot of what happens in relationships between parents and their children, between spouses, is they, they act in certain ways. They don't communicate or they communicate in the wrong way because they're afraid of being rejected or they're afraid that the person's going to leave them. And they don't even realize that, nor does their partner. And then shame. What is shame? Shame is, it, it usually shows up like disgrace, humiliation, embarrassment. People use these words to describe shame. Inadequate, like I'm insufficient, I'm not enough, I'm incompetent, defective. All my life, I've been a, super, a hero and an achiever, and I didn't realize until I went through family week when I was 19, when my dad went through treatment for alcoholism, that what was driving my 
being a super achiever and being a hero was the feeling of inadequacy. A lot of people that are extremely successful, that are extremely driven, feel inadequate on the inside and they drive so hard to push themselves to succeed and it's really all about trying to prove themselves or their worth or trying to get someone else's approval, namely their parents. A lot of guys, it's their dad and they don't even realize it. And we wonder why we have problems with God. It's because we've never dealt with the problems with our own parents. And most of us don't realize that our parents were our gods up until the age of eight. So if we have any unresolved issues with our parents, we're going to naturally transfer them onto God, which would explain why we have difficulty relating to God, because we've never dealt with the feelings that we have with our parents or the other people that have hurt us. So we as human beings naturally relate to God the same way we relate to other people. We don't, we, we can't imagine him as a loving father because our father was abusive or our father wasn't there. Or unworthy or unlovable or defective. You can look at those words, worthless, undeserving, undesirable, unwanted, flawed, faulty. There's something wrong with me. So one important thing you need to understand is to some degree we all have fear and shame. And it doesn't ever get acknowledged as that. And if I had time, I'd run through, run you through all the scriptures where the first demon dialogue uh, happened in the Garden of Eden. But you know the story of Adam and Eve. They lost their, they did something wrong. They ate of the tree they weren't supposed to. They lost their connection with God and with one another. And then what did they do? They were naked and unashamed, and then when they lost their connection, when they did something wrong, what happened? They became afraid and ashamed. So what did they do? They hid themselves. And then when God came looking and he said, Adam, what have you done? He says, that woman you gave me, Lord. And then when he pulled the woman out, he says, what did you do? Did you eat of that tree? He says, the serpent made me do it, Lord. The devil made me do it. So this is the other thing you need to understand, and you can fill it in on your outline. The other thing, important thing to understand is when you feel, when we feel fear and shame, we hide and blame. And we're going to elaborate that on that and unpack that. I'm going to show you all how that works itself out, how all this works itself out in relationships and how it shows up and what to do to repair it like next week and the following week. That's what it's going to all be about the next two weeks. So first thing, important thing to understand is to some degree inside all of us there's fear and shame. And the other thing you need to understand is when you feel, when we feel fear and shame, we hide and we blame. In other words, we pretend. We put up a facade. We show one thing when really something else is going on. Or we blame the other person. If I can blame my spouse then I don't have to deal with the part of me that feels unworthy or ashamed or unlovable. It's much easier to deal with their problems than it is my own feeling that I'm unworthy or I'm, I'm not good enough. That's a function of shame. So my question to you is, are you a man or a woman of understanding? Are you empathetic? Do you understand? Do you want to even be more empathetic? And I have one two-minute video to show you, and then we're out. Check it out. How empathetic are you? So what is empathy? 
And why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions, where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective-taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, climb down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, you want a sandwich? <laughs> um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. At least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. So look, this series is called Connecting in Relationships, helping people in all types of relationships to connect, reconnect, and stay connected through the seasons and challenges of life. Tonight is called Feelings, Empathy, and Vulnerability. In order to connect, reconnect, and stay connected, you have to be emotionally engaged. If you don't engage with your emotions from a whole heart, you won't be able to have healthy relationships. Not only with the people that are around you, but also with God and with yourself. You don't deal with your feelings, you won't be able to have a good relationship with God. You know, I'll just tell you one quick story that hopefully I don't get thrown out of church, but at least it's the end. So I'm going to say one bad word, okay? And it's not really a really bad word because Cajuns use it when they eat crawfish, okay? So they suck the head, right? So suck, let's just establish suck is not a bad word. Even if you put an end, an S on the end of it, okay? Can we just do that for a minute? So I was trying to with my wife, 
we've been married 35 years, we have a pattern that we repeat over and over again. And I was trying to break through that pattern and go deeper. I was trying to tell her about what was really going on inside of me, my fear and my shame. In, in other words, I was trying to be vulnerable. And the first time I did it, she took it personal as an attack, like I was blaming her, and she got mad. Then I shut down. Okay, the second time I did it was a couple of few days later. I tried again, and she didn't really hear me. And then I got mad, and I shut down, and I think I probably blamed her. And then the third time, it didn't go well. And so by the third time, it was so painful that I just said, to heck with it. Communication doesn't work. I don't know why I keep telling people communication works, because the more I say, the worse it gets. And y'all ever felt like that? That's why I don't say anything, because when I do say stuff, you want me to communicate, but then when I do communicate, then you get mad at me, and you cut me off for a week, or two weeks, or a month. Last time I said something was the last time. Good Lord, it's been five years. Can you not forgive me? So I went to one of my friends. You know, I got two, a couple of good friends. You know, one friend called him up, told him about it. He, he really has the emotional intelligence about of that guy up there. And, and so he doesn't ever, he doesn't deal with his feelings. So he just said, when he gets my feelings, when, when I start emoting too much, he just says, let me pray for you. That's the way he deals with my feelings. And so he says, I, I'll pray for you. And he prays for me. It didn't really help my feelings. Okay. And then, so I went to my other friend who's a counselor and he listened to me and he didn't, you know, at the end he said, I don't really know what to tell you, man. I, I, I know how it is. And it made me feel a little bit better, but still I got the same problem. And I didn't feel like he really got it. I feel like I've told him so much. He, he was frustrated. I felt like he was frustrated with me. He said he wasn't, but he, I felt like he was. So then I just said, I'm not. I'm not telling anybody else. I'll tell my journal. I'll tell God, but I am not sharing this with another human being ever again. It, it's just, it is what it is. I just need to accept it. So I didn't realize that I had had that day that I decided that I had actually had lunch scheduled with a, a friend of mine who is also a Christian counselor. And um, I was not going to go in there. There was no way I was going to share this with him. No way. You hear me? I don't care if he asked me. If he said, how's your relationship? I was said, fine. Fearful, insecure, neurotic, and empty. That's what fine means. <laughs> Universal cover for fear and shame. So he was going to get a fine. So, But Christian counselors, I don't know, some of us, it's just if you just get around us, your walls dry. You, it's just something happens. God gives us a gift, and people just come into my presence and they start crying. I don't even, yeah, I don't know. It's nothing I do. It's just, it's a space. So like I get with him at the table and he asks me how I'm doing and I, there it goes. It comes out for 20 minutes, 20 minutes. I wasn't going to say anything and I just pour it out 20 minutes. And you know what he does? He looks at me. This is a Christian counselor, goes to a church, counsels the elders in this church. Counsels the pastor, pastor's children, everybody. He looks at me and says, man, that really sucks. I started to feel better. Like, 
God, someone finally gets how I feel. I mean, like something shifted inside of me. Like I, I lightened up. Like we, we started talking and, and like I went out of there and I was a changed person. The anger and the frustration, all of the, I'm not going to do this thing. It was gone. There was no casting out of a demon, no prayer, no scripture, just a bona fide, certified, man, that sucks. So the next time you need Christian counseling, don't do that. Let's close with a prayer. Father, we're all struggling with the same thing. We're all human. We all have emotions. We're all, our hearts have all been broken. Some of us have lost heart. Some of us have become half-hearted. Some of us don't even pay attention, like me, to the signs that are going on in our own bodies. We're anxious, depressed, and angry, and we, we, we're blaming it on circumstances or people when really the, the problem is inside of us. And the reason we don't go to anybody the reason we don't even come to you is the same thing that happened to Adam and Eve. We're, we're afraid and we're ashamed. So we don't come to you. We hide. We blame. We, 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 we hide and blame. Our, we hide from our spouse. We withdraw. We hide the shame that we're feeling, the feeling that we feel unlovable, that we're scared they're going to leave us, that we're afraid of failing. We end up in a dark hole it seems like nobody wants to come down there with us and we just trapped down there. But you came to earth to come and rescue us from that. To give us beauty for ashes. You came to give sight to the blind, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Lord, we need healing. We desperately need love and connection. And we're our own worst enemy. I pray that tonight that you would break through, that you would give sight to the blind, that you would heal the broken hearts, that you would set the captives free with this truth, with this new sight that they wouldn't give up, that they wouldn't lose heart, that they would press in deeper, that they would try again, that they would drop their walls, that they would put down the mask, they would come out of hiding into the light, would open up, trust somebody again, take a chance again, take a risk again, and that you would meet them, that you would help them, just like you helped me with that day with that guy. You knew exactly what I needed, just as someone to understand. And then it just broke free. Touch them where they are right now. Help them. Bless them. Heal them. In Jesus' name, amen. Come back next week, and we'll do some more.